Yo, this is Jerry Sylvester, and you're listening to For Those Who Know. This season, we'll talk with artists, musicians, and other creatives, journalists, educators, and anyone else who's contributing to the culture, pushing the needle, and stretching the margins. From one-on-one conversations to roundtable discussions, covering everything from hip-hop to quantum physics. Wait. Wait, okay, no, not actual quantum physics, okay? But if you're unfamiliar with black culture, then it might just sound like it. (laughs) Addressing the world the only way we know how. Talking about it. Everybody has a story to tell. These are just the ones you should know. Let's go. What's going on, y'all? This is Jerry Sylvester. Officially the first episode of For Those Who Know. Um, I have my brother here with me. Brother Jahan Jones, what's up, man? Already. Um, I kind of feel like we had an amazing conversation offline. Man, that's always how it works. A, cu- <laughs> a couple of them. You drop the best the best stuff on the floor. Exactly. And no one hears it. No one hears it. <laughs> it y'all, was dope, though. It was dope. It was real dope. So y'all got to hear, like, the fly shit, like, like, like the liner notes and, like, the tweets. <laughs> we'll tweet those. Yeah. Um, so real quick. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Like I said, you know, I do appreciate you coming through, rocking with no me. No doubt, man. No um, doubt. You know, this is officially, you know, um, the true first episode. The inaugural. The inaugural yeah. episode of uh, For Those yeah. Who Know. I mean, largely because, you know, because I, I want people to, you know, get an idea of you. Like I said, I, I definitely believe, um, you know, one, you're a friend, but then two, you know, I, I respect you um, intellectually, creatively. Um, and just your contribution, I appreciate you know, that, man. right now to the culture, man. And I think it's dope, and I think what you're doing is dope. And so to that end, so I spoke with a mutual friend. Um, some call him B. Tay, some call him Crash. My man, my man. Um, and so I know that uh, I believe earlier this week he sat down with CNN. Yeah. To uh, yes. You know, to talk about the Black Obituary Project. Yes, we're so excited about that. Um, so excited about that. Yo, man. Now. It's an amazing project for those of you out there um, who are unfamiliar with it. Um, we're going to get into it. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, to be a part of it, be a contributor. Um, thank you for that, uh, and that thank opportunity. You. Thank you. Um, yeah, man. Black obituary. So, so B-Tay sat down with CNN. Um, yo, where's it going? That's a good question. Um, the website, so just for the folks who don't know, the Black Obituary Project is a growing compilation of self-written, pre-written obituaries um, by black folks intended to show the gamut of personalities we display. Mm -hmm. Um, It's in response to the uh, frequent slangs of black men and women that we see play out in the media. And so this is really an opportunity to Mm -hmm. Uh, allow black folks to tell our own stories while we're still around to tell them and not allow that narrative to be handled by folks who don't have our best interest right. Pardon me. in mind. Delete that. Um, <laughs> uh, <so laughs> I got you. I got you. I mean, Shit's going to sound crispy. Right. I'm probably going to keep all this shit in, too. Got you. Got you. Um, so since it debuted September 29th, mm-hmm. uh, we've been fortunate to get coverage from a number of outlets. Huffington Post, this is before I started working there. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to them. Yeah, Black actually, Voices, shout yeah. out to Huffington Post, Black, Black Voices. Voices. Those are my people. Um, New York Daily News, uh, LA Times, um, NPR, you name it. Mm-hmm. And so CNN contacted me 
this was probably two months ago. Okay. This is before I got the Huffington Post job, and one of their producers said oh, wow. they were, yeah, said they were interested in um, pursuing a story, and mm-hmm. so they began to shoot, but of course, you kind of don't want stories to get buried, and so right. they've been, I shot my piece months ago, mm. months ago. Um, they contacted some other folks who mm-hmm. participated mm-hmm. in the project, I think all over the country. Yeah. Um, so uh, Brandon, actually both Brandons on the West Coast are doing Very dope. Well. That's what's up. Yeah, Habit Shout and out Crash. to Habit, shout yeah. out to Crash. Are, are both, uh, Brandon, Crash filmed his last week. Mm-hmm. Um, Habit is about to film his on Monday. Very dope. Uh, I have no idea what it's going to look like when it's yeah. finished, but I just know it's been really incredible, especially as a journalist, to be on the other side. Mm-hmm. I'm usually the one asking the questions. Yeah. And so to be in a situation where to folks are asking questions, that it, it's incredible, man. And this wouldn't be possible without folks like you even lending your voices to it because yeah. there's no Appreciate that. black obituary project with just Jahan. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're excited. So, so, you know, so just kind of... I guess like focusing on the Black Obituary Project, you're a journalist. Black Obituary Project is, um, in a large extent, it is an artistic endeavor. Right. 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 Where do you feel you know this balance between being a journalist and being an artist? Now, and I'm sure you agree, mm-hmm. journalism is an art. Right. Right. It's an right, art right. form. So like just this merging of this project, which is now it's you know it's it's larger than life. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it's wildly creative, you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's an actual it's a thing that um, it's grown legs on its own, mm-hmm. you know. And so for you, like I said once again, to be on um, I would say like a more like creative approach as opposed to something that is you know um, definitively literary, right? You know what was that process? This is a like a convergence, as you said, of my journalistic interest with mm-hmm. my artistic interest, and I do think journalism is an art, but. The Black Obituary, Obituary Project is kind of playing to my interest in more like traditional art yeah. forms, mm-hmm. like visuals, right? And, um, media, media, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, sorry, run that question by me one more time. So, and and, and I apologize if if, if no, no, it wasn't cool. clear. Um, this idea of what was I guess the thought process between that merge to like I said to to not just create the Black Obituary Project, but to be like, all right, there's this thing that I want to do, and I want to do it in a certain way. Because easily you could have wrote about it. Right, right, right. right? Well, that's, then, how the, that's how the story goes. It was literally one incident that prompted the Black Obituary Project because I'd already thought about writing my own obituary and submitting it as a freelance piece um, maybe a year and a half ago. And it's, it's really sad. I don't remember which shooting prompted it. Mm-hmm. And that just goes to show you how often these things happen. I believe it was out in Sterling. Well, this well that was what prompted this one. Okay, but there was some shooting that took place. It may have been the Walter Scott shooting. Mm, okay, um, but that's what Philando Castile, I think. Well, that was right. That was like the a same, day after. Same. Uh, all, well, right. Correct. So, with I was pretty broken mm-hmm. uh, in response to the Alton Sterling shooting. I literally like cried a mm-hmm. great deal, pretty hysterically. I, yeah. I say that without shame, um, because no shame in it. Yeah, yeah. Just the idea of witnessing someone's life leave their body. Yeah. I don't think many people have that experience. Like, when we hear that someone was killed by police, 
we see that we may see their body, but we don't mm-hmm. actually see the process of them dying. I'm gonna leave this on a tangent, but I'll bring this back. Okay. My dad is a, a doctor, mm-hmm. so he was always there to help me with my like biology and my anatomy stuff. And we learned a lot about the body and like the lengths to which a body could go to keep itself alive. Mm-hmm. And you'd be really like amazed at how like if you cut off an arm right now, your blood will clot to a certain extent, like to prevent you from dying mm-hmm. for bleeding out. Right from bleeding out. Mm-hmm. So when you see and so I've kind of grown up with that understanding that the body is this really incredible, like, durable mm-hmm. thing. And so when I saw, like, Alton Sterling being shot, and mm-hmm. I saw the blood leave, like, pool on his chest, and I saw him, like, his body convulsing, mm-hmm. like, broke me in a really, mm-hmm. like... Real way. Transformational way mm-hmm. that prompted me to pursue art in a way that I hadn't pursued it before. And so mm-hmm. that's when I think I may have... I cried at night, and the next day, I think I may have started sending out emails, and I, mm-hmm. I asked people, I said, hey, I know this, like, you know, I, yeah. I, I sent it to you, yeah, but yeah. I'm asking this very, like, deep thing of you that I would completely understand if you weren't capable of doing, because it's, right. like, a depressing endeavor, but I think mm-hmm. it's important, and I have no idea where it's going to end up, and yeah. none of us had any clue that it would right. be where it is now, and that's where I, I take the most pride in all the folks who are involved, it's just that this could have been something that I created and just faded into the ether forever and no one would have known about it. Right, and then You guys would have contributed that. just the same. So yeah. it was really an investment. Yeah. So I think being an artist um, is, is, I think a large part is being able to have a critical eye on mm-hmm. cultural society, things right. that affect us creatively. And like, I look at the Black Obituary Project as, um, and I think I talked to you about this, Jeremy, yesterday about this, this concept of creating art for social change. Mm-hmm. And um, is, is that something along the lines that like you feel that this is what the Black Obituary Project is like aiming to do, whether it's to um, continue a conversation, create a conversation, whether it's bringing attention to a specific, you know, sort of like medley of issues, right. um, which, is, which is that is both, you know, relevant, necessary, but it's also it's done and at least given, it goes back to, it's given in a way that can be consumed, um, you know, creatively, intellectually. Um, you know, is, 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 that, is, that, is that your approach, I guess, now, you know, moving forward like other creative endeavors? It's like, do I want to make something that is going to change and help right. the culture? So with this, this project, I find that at least from what I've heard from people who've viewed it, seems to have changed some people. Mm. I, I'm a little reluctant to believe that someone who believes, for example, that black people were killed disproportionately because it's something we deserve. I, yeah. I'm not of the belief that those people's opinions are changed. Right. But there are others who have had more like nuanced and thoughtful expressions of their own like regret about how they've treated black people and how they've interpreted these killings of black people. Yeah. And that's what I've found to be really important. But I did not enter the project with the intent to change anyone because it really was like medicating, I think, certainly for me, but Mm -hmm. I believe for, and you can tell me if this is true, for the folks who participated to be able to tell your story and reflect on your life. Mm -hmm. Completely independent. Yeah, Yeah, completely independent from anyone else. No, definitely. And I appreciated especially the folks who were willing to write about their their own ills and their Mm -hmm. own sins and the people who really just laid mm-hmm. bare right. 
some people call themselves cowards and people mm-hmm. who express their regrets. The inadequacies. Right. The right, failures. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. The, the transparency, rather. Right. Because the idea that you need to be perfect not to be killed is something that's that we've allowed to permeate in our society, but it's not true. It's just not. Yeah. No uh, just society can function on that sort of idea. idea. Mm-hmm. So the folks who are willing to include their sins and also able to understand that they wouldn't deserve to be killed because they had any of these sins, Yeah, I really appreciated that. So I, that's just a roundabout way of saying, in future projects, I'm probably going to pursue it similarly in that I'm not going to make art necessarily to change people. Mm-hmm. I think it will just naturally change people if I do it mm-hmm. with all sincerity possible. Yeah. So I guess with the Black Obituary Project, so it is, it's something that is ongoing, is current. How can people contribute yes. um, so, to the project? And, and where can they find it? Right. So everyone can view it at blackobituaryproject.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some information there about how you go about submitting it. But ultimately, if you're interested in participating in the Black Obituary Project, just send an email to blackobituaryproject.gmail.com. Um, some folks on our team will take a look at it uh, and uh, get you set up so you can contribute to the site. It's going to be... So long as the internet exists, <laughs> yeah. and I have uh, 1997 in my pocket to pay for the domain, <laughs> <laughs> which who knows? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, times are hard. Yeah, yo, you got you Donald know, Trump as president. Yeah, yo, she could get real bad, worse. <laughs> right. She could get worse. Like, but, I don't know. I had to, you know, had to spend that on some milk. I don't know. Right, right, right. <laughs> but so long as um, the internet exists, the Black Obituary Project will exist. And right now, uh, we're working on developing a. a a physical exhibit out of it, and so that's really oh, that'd be dope. That's really in the mm. like beginning stages right now. Okay. I literally have no idea how that's going to take shape, but it's definitely going to take shape at some point. That's what's up. Okay, so we talked about you being a journalist. Let's let's. I kind of want to embark on that a little <laughs> bit more. So so currently, you are an editor at Huffington Post. Huffington Post. Yeah. Um, congratulations. Thank by you, the man. way. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. Yo, still I know working it. At it. I know. I know it is. Yeah, so, you know, tell me, can you just tell me a little bit about coming into that experience? Sure. I've been a writer for some time. Um, when I was in high school, I was convinced I was going to go to the league, right? <laughs> there's, no reason, there's no reason for me to be convinced of that. It definitely wasn't going to happen, but I played basketball and I was... Hoop dreams deferred. Yeah, yeah, and my, but my parents would always tell me, Jahan, this basketball thing is okay. Like, you're okay at it. But you're really good at writing. Yeah. And that should be your focus. And they would always tell me, you know, when we sent you through school, they didn't have a basketball team. And mm-hmm. we sent you here for the academics. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada. Um, so I've always wrote as a sort of, like, therapeutic act. And I went to the Cronkite School of Arizona State and kind of honed in on the, like, the tenets of journalism, if yeah. you will. How to write a good lead. How to... Mm-hmm. Um, tell a compelling story, how to source facts and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I always knew that I didn't want to just write um, like dispatches of things. I don't want to yeah. be the sort of journalist, the like capital J journalist that mm-hmm. goes out, looks at a thing and then tells you that this thing I looked at. Because mm-hmm. I think we're doing people a disservice if we don't provide context. Right. And all that, I only mentioned that to explain um, that I've always wanted to look at things from an analytical perspective and that led to me writing a lot of op-eds, and so I was writing for 
a black newspaper in Arizona. Mm -hmm. I would submit some freelance pieces to whoever would take it at the time. Yeah. I was uh, privileged enough to have some stuff make it into uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times. And mm -hmm. that kind of gave me more of a platform yeah. to transition from a freelance writer in Arizona to what ultimately became the NBC page program. I worked in the page program for right. about a year. While I was there, I continued to hone in on my, hone my journalistic skills writing for NBC BLK, which is their African-American vertical. Mm -hmm. um, just doing a lot of reading, because I yeah. think I, I don't want to read writers who don't read. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you right. can definitely tell. Mm -hmm. uh, so like who? Like who are you reading? I, I read Jamel Bowie all the time, mm -hmm. very often. I read Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, Jeffrey Goldberg okay. at The Atlantic, Jelani Cobb is one of my mm -hmm. favorite writers. Uh, did I say Ta-Nehisi Coates? Not yet, but you did right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a sacrilege for me not to yeah, mention yeah. his name, you know, because he's what we all, in many right. ways, aspire to. Definitely. But yeah, so when you, and you can tell me if I'm writing this, you can tell when you read someone's work whether they've read other people's work. Definitely. I agree. You can tell. Mm -hmm. Because there's a certain... I, I've been doing a lot of reading of people who I disagree with vehemently, like mm. people who are so-called like racist intellects. Yeah, and I think that's important because mm -hmm. I'm going to just deconstruct your argument, but right. I need to know what that argument is. Yeah, and so when I don't want to just provide opinion pieces mm -hmm. with my opinion, it's, right. it's going to be my opinion, but it's going to be supported with fact facts. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an empiricist in that way, so. Yeah, I, I took some time to really teach myself how to read, teach myself like where I should be getting my mm -hmm. my the articles I enjoy reading from. Yeah, um, and then I started working with the Today Show for about a year as a production assistant, um, just learning about how stories are put together. That was obviously broadcast television, but right. stories are stories for sure. Um, and then I transitioned from there into my current role with the Huffington Post and. Now it's really my job to find other writers like myself who mm -hmm. may not have always had that platform yeah. to share their work with the world. It really is a privilege uh, and a pleasure to seek writers out, give yeah. them a platform, and whatever happens after that is really yeah. uh, up to them. It's up to them. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so your position at Huffington Post is what? I am a an editor. Okay. An editor. All right. And a recruiter. So, I I'm allowed to write pieces for them. I'm editing works that come in from our pool of Huffington Post reporters, or mm -hmm. pardon me, Huffington Post contributors, mm -hmm. um, and also finding people who I think offer valuable voices on a number of topics, whether it be feminism, mm -hmm. uh, the LGBT experience, uh, the black experience, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. All right. So as a journalist, especially in, I think, today's climate yeah. of social media, mm -hmm. um, an oversaturation of thoughts, opinions, right. and other. How do you feel that has um, either changed, either negatively or positively, because of because of these influences? Um, I think it's an inter interesting question because we have access to more works right. now, and I think mm -hmm. that's a net gain, but also just a function of having social networks that people can push their work out to and mm -hmm. the function of having 
anybody having the ability to make a blog site is that you're going to have a lot of bad writing. Right. Um, so that's another thing. I've been reading a lot of stuff that just sucks. Which isn't good. <laughs> which is okay. Like yeah. You understand what, what works and what doesn't work and what... Uh, what um, like it's shared on social media and what doesn't mm-hmm. and why things get shared. Right. So I've learned a lot. But uh, to answer your question, this current climate we're in where everyone really has access to a platform to share their work, I think on the whole it's a good thing. Okay. On the whole it's a good thing. And, and I have experience with that daily because I'm, I'm going to these really sort of obscure blogs that may be mm-hmm. followed by five or six people but have really poignant pieces on them. Yeah. yeah so. Okay. I follow you on Twitter. Use Twitter really well. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I love Twitter, like in my personal life. It is an outlet, you know. So whether it's whether I, I'm I'm using it as as a means to just filter thoughts, right. to vent, you know, to express ideas, concepts creatively, artistically. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's you know to to rebel against the establishment, whatever. Yeah. And so for you in in your own personal work, you know how how is that access help with like even like your development of like filtering ideas, whether you're working on pieces, whether it's just like sitting offshoots, right. you know, rhetorically, you know, talking to yourself. Right, right. It's, I think it's a trade-off. Um, so the positives I get from Twitter are that I can kind of curate my news feed to get the sort of news I want, which is different from the news that I agree with. Like yeah. I follow a lot of accounts that post things that I don't agree with. And I think mm-hmm. it gives me a really holistic, in my, in my perspective, um, idea of what people are thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, the negative of Twitter, I think, is especially for a writer, that your ideas can become naturally abridged because you're so accustomed mm-hmm. to writing things in 140 characters. Right. And so I really, when I'm writing a piece, kind of have to take a break from Twitter because there's this okay. natural inclination to write things in Concise. short, right, yeah. in, in short, like, three-sentence, <laughs> you know, grabs. Right, right, yeah. right. And you can't really explain voter disenfranchisement in right. three sentences. Right, in 140 you know, characters. Right, in 140 characters. And so as a writer, I've kind of had to train myself to use Twitter when I need to use it. Mm-hmm whether it be for like professional purposes or just therapeutic purposes, but also to take some time away to do the work that I really need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as, from, I guess, from, from your vantage point, how, especially once again, I think where we're at politically in our country right now, right? How has not just journalism, but the accounting um, of events and the reporting of said events, right. how, for you, like, how has that changed, right? So we joke, you know, about alternative facts, and we right, joke right, about, right. like, but these are things that are, that, are, that are happening, that are being perpetrated, and that they continue to happen. So, like, how, how does that affect journalism? You know what I mean? Like, right, like, right, 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 right. Like, reporting the actual news, reporting the truth, giving right. the truth and making sure that it's being out there and it's disseminated. Whereas, I think me and Joe were talking the other day, where uh, I guess Denzel had an interview where he was talking about, it doesn't matter what's the truth, like what's right, it just matters like who puts it out first. Right, right, right. I think if I were to look at it through rose-colored glasses, right, there, it's great that we can get news in real time. Like, yeah. this thing happened, there was someone there at that moment with a phone, and they told you that this thing happened and you had it within seconds, Yeah. right? So that's great. 
the issue is, and I, I kind of learned about this, I think it's just like something now we consider to be our reality, but most of the stuff that you get in real time is not true. Yeah. <laughs> or, or at least if it's not uh, an outright lie, mm -hmm. it lacks the context that you would need to make any sort of sense of right. it. So if there's a terrorist attack at this airport, mm -hmm. someone reports that there's a terrorist attack at this airport, but then other people on Twitter say these people were responsible for this terrorist attack. Yeah. They, they lack the context, mm -hmm. and they lack the context, but don't lack the platform. That's yeah. the issue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the issue. Which, which we've seen happen time and time again. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I mean, take the, uh, the situation with the uh, Boston bomber, for example. Right. I mean, I don't want to get this wrong. There was some publication in New York that posted the wrong photo of... Right, I think I remember. Like, who the presumed yeah. uh, perpetrator was. So... Access can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, um, promptness can be dangerous in the wrong hands. And this is just assuming that the people who are sharing this information, whatever it may be, whether it be about a terrorist situation or a political happening, mm -hmm. we're assuming that everyone shares this information with the, uh, the common good in mind. But there are right. a lot of people who don't, right. who have and choose motivations. Not to. Right, right, right. Have mm -hmm. motivations. Uh, otherwise, so that's where we are. Unfortunately, but people like yourself, you're out there to subvert what we're <laughs> what we're being. I don't want to say oppressed with, but we are. Right, right, right. Like I'm, I'm working on it. I think the issue is for every, and I appreciate that by the way. For every me, there, there's like another person who is going to refute what I'm saying, and yeah. so I just think that we need to place more of an emphasis on knowing things. And mm -hmm. it sounds so silly, but yeah. I think we've reached this social climate where the people who know things are considered elitist. Right. Right. We have a president who speaks of the elite media and talks right. about uh, how oppressive we as media professionals are toward him. Mm -hmm. And what that does is creates a climate in which the climate we've seen where like Facts are considered to be opinion. Right. Facts are considered to be opinion. There's this like <laughs> disbelief in empiricism that's really troubling. <laughs> it's, really, it's troubling and it's frustrating for people. Yeah. Like I have opinions, but I also am not just going to share those opinions sans yeah. facts. Yeah. And, uh, but it doesn't matter. I think one of the best lessons I learned from one of my professors at the Cronkite was that there is no objectivity. Mm -hmm. No one is objective. Everyone has their own motivations for doing whatever it is. Right. But there are facts, and facts are facts regardless of right. who espouses them. Right. They're indefutable. Right. That's because because I just feel like like that's what's scary, right? You know, to 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 watch whether you're watching television, whether it's on the internet, and once again, where you have people like ourselves who are like, no, nah, nah, like well, I'm gonna call bullshit on that. You have people who are on the other side of the aisle. They're like, no, like this is real. Like this is real. right, 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 right. And they're gonna continue to perpetrate that. Right. Which, once again, like, is dangerous. And so we continue to have, like, this whirlwind effect of just... I was thinking about that on the way in here, um, about how frightening it is when you think about it, that there's a major political party that is willing to undergo, like, rigorous gymnastics mm -hmm. to abide by the very flimsy ego of this one man who was elected president. Right. So things that are like 
demonstrably false are being espoused and perpet- uh, propagated by people who we entrust with our lives, right. people who we deem responsible for determining, determining health policy and mm-hmm. policing policy and voting rights and all these things. Women's, women's rights, yes, reproductive yes. rights. To see the eagerness with which um, members of the Republican Party have like, bent to oblige Donald Trump has been like, legitimately scary. I think about mm-hmm. it daily. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we get out of that either. I don't know that there's going to be this like great awakening where Americans understand that yeah. there are there are facts that actually exist and that those facts tend more often than not to refute what our president thinks. I don't know that right. like the people who went with Donald Trump have any sort of see any sort of value mm-hmm. in taking the facts as they are. Right. Otherwise, he wouldn't be president. Right. Right. Yo, we're gonna take a, a quick break, right quick. I'm with you. All right. Yo. During this quick commercial break, I want to take a few minutes to tell you about an amazing new product and introduce you to Monsoor Sharp. It was created with the urban renaissance man in mind. It's the perfect facial hair product for men of all shades and men of various hair types. They take pride in skillfully handcrafting each bottle to precision. All right, fellas, now listen up because this is where it gets good. Summer Solstice is a premium beard oil that embodies a light, non-greasy formula that harvests a smooth, shiny, and well-conditioned beard. And beyond that, the fragrance is amazing. I've tried it. I was out here flourishing, had my beard looking and feeling luxurious. And these are just some of the benefits. Moisturizes skin, improves hair texture, rejuvenates skin cells, eliminates beard itch, promotes hair growth, and helps with inflammation. Now, I didn't forget about the ladies, because currently running is a Valentine's Day special. Look, $15 off your purchase, plus free shipping and handling. You can get it for your bae, or maybe that special friend who you secretly want to be the bae. Yo, either way, Summer Solstice is not just a hype move, it's the right move. And find out for yourselves at MonsoorSharp.com. Peace. So I talked to Lasana today. My man, my man. And I was like, yo, I got I got Brother Jahan coming through. Um, yo, he said you got a private jet now. Uh something like that. <laughs> it's my own two feet. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> no, because I told him that like I was sad I wasn't gonna be able to go home for his lecture series or or, or his lecture at the Carter G was right, right, right. this year. Right. Yeah, Carter G, I'm happy it's high. It's dope for me to see that Hotep is being encircled in Amasu's yeah. operations even after leaving ASU because yeah. we are all kind of like the Hotep disciples, if for you sure. will. <laughs> uh, the he, offshoots. Right, right, right. He influenced all of us. And definitely, so definitely. Just having, seeing that Amasu is bringing him back and mm-hmm. sharing his wisdom with other folks in Arizona right. is dope. And passing it on. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Like how 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 connected are you still with with uh, Amasu? Um, I would say well, my brother is heavily involved. With oh wow! Them. Okay. Um, he's doing some things with regard to social media and sharing their events and yeah. helping publicize it and things like that. So in that sense, I feel like Amasu's kind of come full circle. Mm. Amasu changed my life, man. It, it gave me some newfound consciousness and yeah. it gave me uh, certainly a lot more 
pride. I've always been proud of mm-hmm. being a black man. But right. Amasu gave me the sort of intellectual foundation. Foundation, mm-hmm. yeah, to kind of build upon that and create whatever sort of black man I was going to become. Yeah. Um, so I'm here now, but for my brother to be going yeah. through that same process. And like have that, maybe maybe not a similar experience, but having an experience right, that's definitely right, you know, right. specific to him. And see, seeing him sort of come into his own consciousness has been incredible. Yeah. For sure. No, for man, sure. same here. And, and, and it's wild, <clears throat> excuse me, because though I wasn't, like I wasn't in Amasu as, as a member, like I went through, you know, I went to the events and, you know, at the time, at least for me, a lot of, a lot of the people that I rolled with heavily were in Amasu. Right, so whether it's right. like, you know, Brandon Taylor, whether it's, you know, Justin Hall at the time, mm-hmm. Jake Smith, um, you know, so all of them, so for me, Amasu did something very, very similar to me in that it really gave me my first platform creatively. Right, right. right? So I'm talking about Black Poetry Explosion. Mm-hmm. So like for me, like that was major because I think like the first like Black Poet, like Welcome Black that I did, I don't know, man, maybe... It was maybe oh eight, right? Maybe oh nine, maybe right, right, right. Um, yeah, and it was yo, that was huge for me. Like that, like that was like that was that community, you know, creatively, right, through the arts, and then just even just like to show up, be inside the MU top floor, and it's just like a sea of black faces, right, right. And I think the beautiful thing about Welcome Black and really all of Amasu's events is that they were so varied and they played to different folks' strengths. Yeah, so. You know, we had poets like yourself, people who were more on the artistic side, and Welcome Black was really a platform for you guys to, you guys were, we were all Amasu, but this was a chance for us to put up our Amasu brothers and sisters who were artistically inclined. And then we had the the career fair, which is for, you know, some of our more business-minded Members. Individual. Right, yeah. right, right. And then we have the skate jam, which is really mm-hmm. just for people who want to turn up. <laughs> skate jam. I got pictures for that ass. Like Man. I have Facebook skate jam photos. Man, the skate jam was always the spot. <laughs> Folks would always they would never go to an Amasu event except for the skate the skate jam. They were going to the skate jam on the prowl. Yo. <laughs> it was early. serious. Early, like it yo. was serious. I'm here. You know why I'm here. Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) You know why I came. (laughs) You know. Right. People, I'm like, you don't even go to ASU. Uh, You don't even know what a monster is, but this is the spot to be. Like, I heard about it. I heard who's here. It's the turn up. I heard who's here. It's the turn up. Yeah, for for the folks who weren't, it's kind of like you have to uh, bait people with dessert. Yeah. To get them to eat their broccoli. No, definitely, right? definitely. So that's what this K Jam was. We were like, "Hey, it's a method to it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can't. Some folks aren't going to be as inclined to just learn about their history in a, a traditional way. Right. And so the skate Jam was kind of the bait we used mm-hmm. to, to show folks, in. like, "Hey, we we also turn up. We're both righteous and ratchet. So we'll get to we're the ratchet. We're going to talk about that too. <laughs> we'll get, we're gonna <laughs> yeah, we'll get to the ratchet <laughs> side. But you keep coming to these." Um, Business for Black Men meetings, and you come to these uh, fall leadership conferences, and you come to uh, Carter G, and then at the end of the year we can celebrate and uh, listen to uh, Jeezy at yeah. this uh, skate jam. All right, so you say Jeezy, Jeezy. <clears throat> I want to deviate there. Yep. Love that dude, by the way. Hey, Jeezy, the snowman. The snowman. The snowman. <laughs> He's a legend. Oh, He's of a- course. I, well, it's been. 
interesting to see how he's developed oh, his business. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think I've read, and, and, and I can't remember quite where, but I know he've read that um, like post his like interaction with Hove. Right. Like mentally, creatively, like mm-hmm. the lights came on, he started moving, changing yeah. differently, yeah. like as an artist, like so the, as a business person. Right. Um, that's major for me because I, obviously I know that they have, there's this point where like they connect and like they relate. Right. Very deeply as far as just being in the streets and for whatever. Right, because people forget that Jay-Z was essentially Jeezy yeah. in New York. Exactly, exactly. Right? He's so far removed in our eyes from that lifestyle that we right. can't fathom him at one point selling right. drugs. It, it, it almost becomes as though it was, it was like fabricated or like it was fiction in some way where right. it's like, no, like, no, like he was really out there. Yeah, folks think of Jay-Z more <laughs> like Elon Musk than, yeah. they do, uh, than they do think of him as like a... Uh, right. Yeah, right, as, selling bricks. You as of you know, uh, my man, who's my man from um, American Gangster, Frank. Ah, uh, oh, man, what's my man's name? I do better. I've never seen it. And it's uh, a travesty. It's, yo, it's a travesty. my God, it's a yo, travesty. I've never what? seen it. Heard the I, heard the soundtrack though. Yo, that's what I'm saying. Which is which is probably one of Hope's best best bodies of work. Yeah. I mean, you can put an asterisk by it. it may be debatable. Right, but like. Yo, for American Gangster to drop, and then Hove was like, yo, I'm about to create, I'm about to relive this experience through this movie. Oh, yeah. Because I get it, I relate it, like, right. this is this is my life. Right. Yo, it, it, it's going to bug me. I'm going to remember later, but his first name is Frank, Denzel Washington. Yeah. Yo, you need to put that on, like, the top of your list. I'm going to check it out. Just to watch. As a general rule, if there's... Frank Lucas, there we go. There we go. There we go. Um, as a general rule, if there's any sort of film that is... A staple of cinema. I've probably not seen it. <laughs> <laughs> took, it took me until I was a senior in college to watch The Lion King. My man. guy. <laughs> what? Strict loyalties to Nickelodeon. Oh Strict my loyalties. god. Strict loyalties. Dude, yo. If it's not Tommy Pickles, out of here. <laughs> Hey, 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 shout out to the squad, man. <laughs> the squad, the, the original first, squad. The, the original squad. People want to talk about recess. Right. Yo. It was Rugrats. Angelica, the Shade Queen. Oh, man. They had the gamut of personalities on that show, man. They did. (laughs) All right, so I kind of want to deviate. So I want to go back to just Jeezy, Atlanta, Donald Glover, Migos. It's a... I am not one who is of the belief that we need accolades from... Like institutions that have typically been right. discriminatory, discriminatory mm-hmm. toward us. Right. So, the establishment. Right, mm-hmm. right. So Donald Glover getting a uh, Golden Globe, I think it was. Mm-hmm. It was deserved in my opinion, but I would never consider that to be validation because I already consider the art valid. Right, for sure. That said, I, I am a proponent for us wedging our way into spaces that were typically not allowed mm-hmm. and being unapologetically black in those Absolutely. spaces. Absolutely. <laughs> and making people uncomfortable with mm-hmm. our blackness. And, Surely. Um, because blackness is, in America, inherently um, un- discomforting to right. some, as we've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, so that said, the fact that we have Donald Glover, who is, for many white folks, like Safe. an acceptable yeah. Negro, yeah, yeah, yeah. to bring in Migos, <laughs> who right. are by many accounts, unacceptable Negroes right. to me. Like, if Donald Glover is on one end of the spectrum, 
Migos is still, yo. <laughs> if not antithetical in many yeah. people's eyes, yeah. definitely not similar. No, so for sure. So for him to go up and, and celebrate them in that way mm. was dope. Also, he enlarged their platform too. Yeah, for sure. And the song was already blowing yeah. up, but yeah. I think I just listened to a Migos interview today that they did with Hot 97, and they said um, that's something like the sales went up 150% or something like that, which is just yeah. crazy. And as someone who's been a fan of the Migos for a while, I don't think they make good albums, but I think they make great singles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can get to that. But it was just cool to see how these are still young black men. Right. They have an album called Culture. Yeah. And it just dropped, I think. Yeah, yeah, it just mm-hmm. dropped. Again, wasn't a fan of the album, but they have dope singles on it. They do. And they I do. do. I can see some artistic maturation on their parts, too. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't sound like they did when uh, YRN came out mm-hmm. or any of their other... Latter projects. Right. See, Latter. so here's my thing with, with Migos. Me being someone who, who, who identifies as, like, a hip-hop purist. Right, right. Um... But at the same time, like I miracle schmiracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like lyrical miracle, like, you know what I'm saying? Like I want bars, you know, I want boom bap. Right, right. You know, but at the same time, I think like in my own like maturation, one as an artist and then also as a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even in like, you know, this newfound, you know, awakening and more so consciousness, like I try to be more accepting to like other expressions of just like black dope. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So right. even if like I may not like creatively like get it or like align with it. I can acknowledge like, yo, like this means it represents something. Like it's 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 an impact to the culture. Right. right. Um, and to say that Migos haven't been like impactful to the culture this past year, yo, you you'd be kidding yourself. Even beyond that, you know, the meter Migos rap with yeah. is copied by so many people yeah, yeah, nowadays. Yeah. I mean the whole stack exactly. Right, the tugger, the tugger, the tugger, yeah. the tugger. That's that's Drake, that's yes. future, that's Yes. Um Which is also another one of your favorites. Future is easily my favorite artist out right now. Easily my favorite artist. But uh yeah like Migos just influenced so many people and I think years down the road we'll kind of reminisce on mm-hmm. their period and think of it as this sort of we'll we'll be better equipped to consider how revolutionary right, they are. Right, For sure. I mean, because, so, you know, you want to talk about a group that's coming out of Atlanta where, you know, we have the standards, like, or the standard of right. Atlanta. So whether, so whether we're talking about outcasts on one end, you're talking about Dungeon Fam, Goody Mob. Right. Um, cats like that. So it's like, like, where do they fall, like, in that pantheon? You know what I mean? Right, Where, right. you know, they are un- unapologetically who they are, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, yo, in their hood. Right, like, right. And there's something to be said about yeah. that, I think, about just most people don't have the the fortitude to be themselves apologetically. Yeah. We all make some sort of like concession or sacrifice right. to mm-hmm. appease others. And so I actually enjoy folks who are unapologetically themselves. Yeah. To the extent that they're not like oppressive or right, right, for sure, assholes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Migos fits that. No, fits that they they do, me. and and like, whereas, of course, like I, I I'll definitely I, I feel like you know, Outkast is probably one of the greatest groups easily, not just to come out of Atlanta, like period, any period. genre, yeah, any genre of music across genres, um, and so, so for for me, 
like that was like that early like introduction into like southern hip hop. Right. Right. Because they had that the, the the same kind of flair and influences of the South. They had the twang, they had that, you know, like the way that they spoke, the, right. the slang was different. But they were also lyrical. Right. Like right. they were they were dope. And so we're also I guess the inverse where you have Migos who by no stretch will I say that they're lyrical, mm-hmm. but they have a very specific narrative and story like that they tell. Like, right. Uh, and once again, like like they can rhyme, mm-hmm. like they can rhyme their ass off. Like I I give them that. Right. And like they make hit music. They right, understand right. music enough. And I think that's what I appreciate. Like so so whether it's whether it's Migos, whether it's Yachty, whether it's Lil Uzi, Uzi, whoever it may be. Right. To which you know I'm not. I may not go to a concert. I may not buy the record, but just as being a fan of like music and like even in hip hop. I try to make more of, I try to take more of the time to like see the art in it. Right. And like, okay, like where do I relate in this? Right, right, right. You know, similarly, similarly for me, as a writer, I've learned not necessarily to judge people's work by the mm-hmm. words that are in them. Like, some people didn't have the privilege of going through academia and learning about what it means to be anocoluthic or yeah. whatever. Like, I have no idea what that well, means. Well, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> some folks just don't. I, I've, I've, I'm less inclined than ever now to judge the quality of someone's work by the length of the words in their work, yeah. in their pieces. And so I use that same sort of standard an application to like Migos and mm-hmm. Future and these other artists I really enjoy because they're telling their stories. And there's value in that. There's still right. value in that. They're so telling whether, it as, so, west, as best yeah, as they can. For sure, for sure. And I think, and, and that's, and I think to a larger point, you know, you want to talk about drill music coming out of Chicago right. at the time, right? You have um, Chief Keith, who, who at the, at the beginning, I was like, yo, I can't stand him. Like, right, right. Like, I hate him. I don't know what he's saying, but yo, He's talking about their conditions. Mm-hmm. Like he's telling the same story that Lupe's telling, right. that Ye's telling, that right. Tom is telling, but he's telling it from his vantage point. Right, right. And you have there's there has to be some appreciation for the fact that this man could very easily be doing the things that he's rapping about. Yeah. But he sees some sort of value outside of the monetary value. Yeah. But like and the existential value of him mm-hmm. rapping rather than killing people. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. there's something fascinating about that. The idea that this person is rapping about all the ills that they have and mm-hmm. all the sins they've committed. Right. But they're rapping rather than continuing to Push, right. commit those sins. <laughs> so They're putting it in the music. That's the therapy, which, which right. is, you know, a conversation whether or not I feel like it's acknowledged is that when I, when I listen to, to music like that, whether it's trap music, mm-hmm. whether it's like, you know, deeply aggressive, violent music. Right, right. I'm like, yo, like, this is therapy. Right. For them. Mm-hmm. You know, f- so from those condi- those conditions, those perspectives, which are completely different from my own. Right. Um, and also still finding a way to use their voice in a way that they can speak and reach people that are in those same positions right. as well. Right, right. And, and to that point, you mentioned future and you... I feel like you and I have talked about this before, but when I think of artists like Future and really Lil Uzi and other folks who rap heavily about, like, their substance abuse, Mm -hmm. I think that years down the road, anthropologists would have reason to look back at Mm -hmm. this era of, like, 
lean mm-hmm. Molly rap mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and wonder what circumstances birthed that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, so there's a reason why Future is incredibly popular mm-hmm. for rapping about Molly lean and all this stuff that are like these things that are kind of depressants. And, mm-hmm. and I think for like there to be this swath of black men and women who right. are rapping about this particular mm-hmm. sort of like self-medication. It's, right. it's incredible. Right. To, to numb whatever, whatever issues that may be arising, may be happening. Right, right, right. Them. Like, I don't think Future or Lil Uzi, any of these artists are immune to, like, the social happenings that are affecting right. all of us. Right, Their way of medicating is, mm-hmm. like, literal medication right, and right. drinking codeine. Right, as opposed to, like, maybe writing for yourself or maybe right. zoning out listening, you know, to some Roy Ayers or something like right. that. Whereas that's how they deal with it. Right and, right, and and not to say, you know, I don't know, I don't want to say, like, one thing's worse than the other, but it's one of those things, like, I mean, I can't judge you for that. I may not do it. That that may not how I cope with it. Right. And I don't even even entirely have to agree with it. Right. But I can understand, like, like the reasoning why that would be. Right, and I'm thankful I don't have those destructive tendencies, but I still want to hear from the people who do. Yeah. So that's why. Because there's something to offer there. Right. You right, know what right. I mean? And, and, and it lends perspective to maybe the, the situation that I may be going through. Right, 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 right. Not to mention the fact that March Madness is like the new black national yeah. anthem. <laughs> it's the new black national anthem right there. Yo, so okay. To Pimba Butterfly, Dirty Sprite 2. Which do I enjoy? Okay. <laughs> Let me just preface this by, <laughs> Let me preface this by saying... I understand the artistic value in To Pimp a Butterfly. Mm-hmm. I would rather listen to Dirty Sprite 2 all day, though. Okay. <laughs> like, the lyrics... But why, though? For you? Because it's much more of a visceral feeling for me. Like, mm-hmm. when I listen to Dirty Sprite 2, the beats just resonate better with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look, Kendrick is my favorite lyricist, but Future's my favorite artist. Because mm. there's a difference. There is. There is. There's a like, difference. When I'm listening to a, an artist, I'm thinking about beat selection. I'm thinking about their cadence. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about all these things that... The complete package of it. Right, that are just like inexplicably enjoyable to yeah. me. Um, the Pember Butterfly, I think, is Kendrick's second best compilation. Really? After Section 80. Really? In my opinion. So you think, so is the Pimba Butterfly behind Good Kid, Mad City? Because personally, I think Pimba Butterfly is his magna opus. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Um, as it, you know, <clears throat> as it has, like in his discography, I mean, I, now I can say that because it's, it's, it's probably one of my favorites. Right. Um, I think Section 80 is, is a classic, mm-hmm. undeniably. Section right. 80 is, is a classic. But I think what he was able to do masterfully with the Pimple Butterfly, I definitely feel like he stretched the margins. Like, like he was in a plane, though I lend Jermaine Cole some credit mm-hmm. in that, you know, Forest Hill Drive's was kind of like talking, and even before that, Cole was talking about some of the same kind of things that like Kendrick, you know, expounded on in greater length and detail. I, I think Cole kind of led the way, like in that first drop. Mm-hmm. So whether it was you know his performance um, of uh, his untitled track, yeah, um, you know, leading into you know, "Be Free," 
Um, and then, you know, then you get the Pimp a Butterfly. Right, right. Man, the Pimp a Butterfly is just, like, emblematic of Kendrick's maturation as an artist in Definitely. ways outside of his lyrics. Because I yeah. think lyrically, lyrically, nothing compares to Keisha's song for me. Mm, no, I, I, got, right? I can feel that. And, 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 and to kind of put a point... I don't know that I feel that now that the Pimp of Butterfly is his most lyrical work. Right. Okay. Right. right. So, so I, I do concede that like it's not his most lyrical work, but I do, I do find it to be among his most like impactful work. Right. Right. It's kind of like that same the debate that people have with Kanye, where people are like, "My beautiful dark twisted fantasy is easily Kanye's best." Mm. By 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 many accounts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> many yeah. Accounts. His best artistic. Complete. His, as a complete body and package of work. Right. But some people would look at you easily and say, uh, like, 808s was the most revolutionary work he did. Mm. You know, like, in terms of just... Style, sound. Right, stylistically, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's difficult because with Kendrick, uh, my pimp a butterfly, uh, pardon me, <laughs> to pimp a butterfly can be looked at in a similar vein. It's like... Mm-hmm. A, you're witnessing the development of an artist. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes next. Right. What comes next, and if it mm-hmm. shifts the culture in any sort of way. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's something we'll have to observe over time, because we're like in the immediate wake yeah. right now. Yeah. Because we're in it. We're, we're in, in it. it. Like we're, we're we're still living in like this afterglow. Right. Of like to pimp a butterfly, where I'm telling you. So I think it was last. Not last year, 2015, Jeremy. 2015, we went to Afropunk. Yep. Okay. Man, it was... It, so... It was a thing. Yo, yo, so... Afropunk was a thing. So, 2015 Afropunk, prior to that moment, all right, I don't know that I ever experienced a, a more defining and singularly, like, black experience. It's just... Right? right. So, but, 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 but it, it gets even more specific, all right? So to be in a field of black people in broad day, the sun's beaming, like people got dashikis on, you know what I mean? Everything. Like, like they got lugs yo, on. <laughs> got lugs. Like, you the know, Birdman yo, lugs. everything. Yo, yo, there's, there's, there's shea butter queens, like, you know, people rocking chains and medallions. Right. And then the DJ drops, all right. And to see, like, a whole swath of just black people just move and sway collectively and in sync mm-hmm. to be all right. Yo, that shit was like revolutionary. For impressive. me, like it was like, like, like I, like I had goosebumps. All right is a Negro spiritual. Yo, that, I'm saying it's, it's, it's the, it, I feel like it's, it's the new Negro it's spiritual. It's a protest song. No, definitely. Definitely. It's and a call, it's a, yo, it's a call to arms. Right, right, right. And also like, so at a base level, when I hear we gonna be all right, I am one. I don't know that to be true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. like... It's very um, optimistic. It's optimistic and... Which is, in essence, what Negro spirituals have been Right, for right, us. right. And so I think there's important, there's value in that, yeah. in, in the suggestion that we'll be able to make it through this. Mm-hmm. I, when I listen to that song, even though I may not agree with it, like, rhetorically, per se, it's yeah. just, it makes you feel something. It just... Yeah. I observe when that song comes on, other people's reactions to it, mm-hmm. and it's like when we all listen to that song, we know that we need it at that yeah. point, at that point yeah. in time. For some reason, it's a boost. It all it 
it seems to come on only in the times when we need it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can only imagine what that was like at oh, Afro man. Uh, my Afropunk experience that I think was similar to that was when they played Knuck If You Buck. Oh, Because shit. that's also a Negro <laughs> spiritual. <laughs> that's also a Negro <laughs> spiritual. <laughs> um, I, I think I may have wrote about this a little bit, but that song, man, oh, is man. quite possibly my favorite <laughs> rap song of all time. And I'm not even being, I mean, that's hyperbolic, literally, yeah, but, but I truly mean that. Like, yo, it, it's just nothing. guttural. God. And if you refashion the intro verse, he says, I'm a gat-toting, pistol-holding nigga on your damn street. Yo. It's entirely revolutionized <laughs> if you imagine him in a neighborhood that's not black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's if, deep. You, if, you think, if you think of him in a gentrified neighborhood, yeah. spitting that same lyric, it takes on a whole new meaning. It does. It's militarism. So. Mm. So. Yo. Plus, it's just dope, man. You have a whole bunch of like young black kids who no, were raised. Right? Yo, that Diamonds shit drop. Yo, that dope. shit drop anywhere. It's a rap. Yo, I was in Puerto Rico for my cousin's wedding. At the reception, don't you know they dropped "Nuck If You Buck"? Got to. Yo. Got to. Lost it. I think. It's a. It may be a, a law that if there are more than five people, black people in any <laughs> you have setting, to. you have to play that. I think it is. Dog, you gotta yeah. drop it. You gotta. You gotta swag surf in the crowd. Got to. Like a whole yo. <laughs> there are a few songs that resonate with me. Well, there are no songs that resonate with me quite like that. But like, like I said, March Madness, the swag surf. I consider myself. I'm an MC. I'm an artist. Yeah. Poet. I like to write as well. I'm not as I'm not as quite skilled with the pen as you, as you, my brother. No, you you um, absolutely are. But tell me, right? What is it about future that that puts you in like that go mode, like creatively? Right. Like why? Like why is that your go to? I think, in many ways, it, it's kind of therapeutic. Okay. To be quite honest, because as a writer and as a writer who often touches on subjects of race and politics, things that can be otherwise. Uh, very depressing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Future's music is just vacuous enough for me to use it as a sort of like escape. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think writing is an immersive activity. Right. And when you're immersed in like racialized violence all day mm-hmm. and social stratification. Almost inundated with it. Right. And disenfranchisement and like voter Alternative like, facts. It's just, <laughs> it's just become so exhausting. And so yeah. I was, one, I just love Future's music, yeah. but I see value in it that exists outside of like the notes he's mm-hmm. singing. It's just I, I need that. Yeah, I need that. And that really doesn't apply just to to like trap rappers either. I enjoy J Cole a lot. Absol is one of my favorite rappers. You know, mm-hmm. so there are other people. Absol's the yeah. dude. The dude. Arguably one of the best top five albums of 2016. But, um, yeah, so I think music just in general is an escape for me. Mm-hmm. Future, I think, is a a revolutionary artist who's... Future Hendrix. Yeah, Future Hendrix, uh, <laughs> who seems to have the support of artists who have bona fides that we right. that we, we respect. Like So Talib Kweli right. mentioned that Future told him at one point that he grew up listening to his music and that he's wow. analyzed it very closely. Mm-hmm. Um, Future grew up 
I believe, with the dungeon fam. It was like yes. in the dungeon yes, with he, them. Exactly. Which, which at that point, and not to cut you off, mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of what I, like my ears opened up a little bit more. Right. Because for me, it was something that, that I could then identify with. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do have close feelings about the dungeon fam and right. like that era of hip hop and, that, and that, at that time. And so when I was like, yo, he was rocking with Dungeon Fam? Right, right. Okay. I feel like it's like, that's his hood pass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he cool. This yeah, cool. like, yo, he, yeah, he, he's down. He gets it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's making a conscious decision not to do that because yeah. that's not who he is. But yeah. he at least he understands his, shows his respects. Yeah, yeah so definitely. I, I and, and, I, and I think I think in terms of like hip hop, that's largely like one of the biggest things, or at least like the biggest complaint with right. like a lot of the new school of artists and MCs is that we feel as though they don't pay homage right. to those that came before. Right. Now, inversely, you have a lot of OGs that also do not extend the olive branch to the new school as well. Right. You know, whereas the game is not often given down. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's part of, you know, just maybe like this long standing issue of just the, the culture of hip hop. Right. Um, but at the same time, yo, this is like the youngest genre and culture of music that exists like we're still like we're still evolving and developing so right, right. our our you know the founding fathers are still alive they're still breathing mm-hmm. right so we're still coming up with the rules as it as we go along with it right. and so i think for that that's why there's this disconnect between the generation before the generation that's coming right 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 and i think hip hop like any other genre of music is going to evolve into something that becomes like Almost, what's the word I'm looking for? Unrecognizable, and I'm mm. okay with that. Like, because it's not like artists like Kendrick and J. Cole and these other artists who we consider to be especially lyrical are right. going away. It's just that hip hop should, like all other genres, whether you hip hop should have an offshoot of itself mm-hmm. that may be more melodic or more concerned with like cadences right. and it's genre splicing right. like it, it it becomes to be more like that right right it's not like with the advent of Lil Uzi Kendrick Lamar dies right <laughs> <laughs> like it's not really how some people feel was. that way though yeah I think look I'm never I've never been one who's critical of new artists for not wanting to sound like Curtis Blow for example yeah like they didn't okay. grow up with that yeah you have the right as an artist to develop whatever sort of art you want. Mm-hmm. I've always taken exception to younger artists uh, without reason, just bashing mm-hmm. what we call like the tradition, our, our hip hop forefathers, because yeah. there's really no reason to do that. Just make mm-hmm. whatever art you want to make, and if it's dope, we'll listen to it. If it's not, then yeah, period. You can become an accountant somewhere. Or <laughs> <work at a laughs> it's cool. Add the numbers. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So I got a question. Um, I don't want to like jump in. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. As far as what, like... So that being more on a political statement, obviously, mm-hmm. racial. Yeah. But how much does that influence, like, what you're talking about, like, the black square? Mm. All right. I think Migos was already... They were already black and joyous. Yeah. All right is kind of, like, an official statement that it's mm-hmm. okay to be that. So yeah. it gives... It gives an unnecessary permission 
for the Migos to be who they are. Right. But it's still a permission, no less. Who are already doing and right. looking out, you know, that expression in their own way. Right, right, right. So the folks right. who consider Kendrick an authority and consider him one who can, like, sway culture and give us mm-hmm. the right to do certain things just by virtue of him being a powerful voice. Yeah. Should feel even more empowered to be unapologetically black because he told yeah. you it's gonna be all right. Yeah, <laughs> he told you that. No, definitely, definitely. No, I, I feel the same way. Yeah. So what's next creatively? I'm just gonna try to keep writing. Okay. I think we need that now mm-hmm. more than ever. More than sure. ever, and I don't even say that to sound like self righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anyone who has cogent ideas about where our society is headed and where we are right now should should write on them, but yeah. I definitely have some things that I need to get out. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just going to try to write as much as possible, um, work on some other uh, potential projects down the road okay. to, to some other multimedia projects just to kind of speak about race and politics yeah. and those intersections and society. Mm-hmm. And then, and this is going to sound like a very, um, like a fleeting and inconsequential idea, but I just want to try to have as much, like, be as turnt as possible. (laughs) 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 All right, we touched on it, but I want to be righteous and ratchet. Yo, yes. Like... Yo, I'm 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 getting more and more to like that kind of place. Got Cause like, cause like you know, cause once again, like I said, I I I consider myself someone who, like I come from like a very specific school of like hip hop thought. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, where where like you know like ratchet for like me, you know maybe you know the locks, Jada right. Kiss. You know what right, I'm saying? Right, right. Like it doesn't get more ratchet. Than yeah, that. yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like right. you know, so whether you know, so whether it's like coke rap. Over, you know what I'm saying, really dope sampled beats, mm-hmm. you know, instrumentation, um, you know, but, you know, it, it, it's still founded in like a very, you know, structural, what we identify as being like hip hop. Right. Right. As opposed to like, you know, this latter sound that has, you know, given Rose, that is dope. And so I'm just like, yo, I need to, I need to embrace it a little bit more. And like yeah. I said, like, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm learning to embrace more um, black expressions of just dope. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, right. and like fresh black expressions of joy. So whether yo, so whether that's you know, whether that's Migos, you know, hey, I'm 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 a run with it, Mama. Those <laughs> 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 brothers need to just let me do their ad libs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even want to rap. I just want to do yo, dad, yo, their ad libs are ridiculous. Fire. Uh, and you, you, you know what I like about them? Like, they're just having fun. I feel like they're genuinely having fun. Right. Um, and then also, like, yo, I, I enjoyed them on Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Like, these niggas were funny. Right. Like, right. it was mad. Like, that whole, that whole trailer park scene where, like, they're in the woods and it's, you know, it's Paperboy and Earn. <laughs> and, like, yo, like, my man, like, he pulls my man out the, uh, like the compartment in the trailer, yo, that shit was crazy. It was hilarious. Like my man ran off, my man sit there, shot him, yo, and then we got right back to business, dog. <laughs> all right, um, all right. So winding down, um, I'm gonna ask you a few questions, and whatever comes to mind, um, you can just give me, give me your thoughts. Oh, no doubt. All right, no doubt. You ready? Uh, I think so. All right. <laughs> Raindrop. 
Drop top. My nigga. Okay, but can we just talk about how wait how like when they get to the when Offset gets to the third thought, why is he so angry? Yo, why is he so angry? Thought thought thought. Gosh damn, you angry? Yo, vehemently like he was yeah yeah like he was talking about someone specific. Yes, yes. Yes, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't say her name. Right. But it was somebody that had hurt him, hurt him in his soul. And <laughs> the fact that Quavo said uh, Quavo Ratatouille. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is awesome to me. Like, <laughs> fuck the French, <laughs> fuck francophone, everything. I'm gonna pronounce it. I'm gonna say it my way. <laughs> I'm gonna say it my way. This like is how the, we. This is how we say it. Like W E B Du Bois. She's just like nope. <laughs> I know how it's pronounced. It's like, That's my nope. name. Yeah. Nah. That's what it is. Nah, this is it. That's Hilarious. It yeah. All right. Um, it's the next series. Got it. Aaron Brown. Susan Wasabic. Ian Downing. Man, how did you... <laughs> Man, this is wild. These are like professors of mine. I mean, that's the point, right? Like, hey, you know, this is crazy. Yeah, those are Aaron Brown... Susan Lasovic, Lynn Downey. Yeah. Uh, Lynn Downey used to work at the Washington Post. I think this was during the time of, I believe it was Watergate. Don't quote me on that. Mm. Um, wasn't really under his tutelage directly, but mm. he was one of the most esteemed names. This is dope, by the way. This is like... <laughs> um, I'm, I'm trying. I'm no, trying. I, I appreciate that. Um, so Aaron, uh, Lynn Downey was like one of the more... Lynn Downey was one, certainly one of the most esteemed voices at the Cronkite. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of looked to him as the journalistic standard. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron Brown used to work for CNN. He was definitely one of my professors, certainly one of the most uh, frank professors I had. Uh, taught us a lot about the industry, taught us a lot, a lot, a lot about storytelling. He was also uh, on television essentially all day on September 11th, and he actually went to the mm. top of a nearby building, and you could see mm-hmm. what was once the, uh, Twin, Towers the Twin Towers behind right. him. So he's kind of he's well known um, for doing that. And Susan Lasovic used to work for, I believe it was CNBC. Mm-hmm. She was my uh, professor at the Cronkite as well, who was telling us about the ways of the industry, where it was going mm-hmm. um, in terms of business. And so she taught me a great deal. She's probably in New York somehow, or right now. I need to get coffee with her. Susan, what's up? Susan, what's up? Susan, what's up? She was, that's a, so awesome. I have a nostalgic moment. So, so, and so just, I guess just piggybacking off of that, like how was, how and what was that experience like for you going through the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, like how was that, like how has it shaped you? I walk with a, with definitely a sense of pride mm-hmm. because the Cronkite is one of the finest journalism schools in the country and I think certainly they're, they're well resourced, mm-hmm. but they put a lot of investment in like learning the art of telling a story. Yeah. So they want you to learn about the technical aspects of writing, right. this is where the lead goes. This is where, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. You put all the stuff that's at mm-hmm. the top that should be the most pertinent information, then you get to the, you know, so they're like yeah. journalistic tenets that we learned at the Cronkite. But also, right. they hired people who taught us about, like, why stories are told, 
and outside of the technical aspects, the ways in which you tell a story that are that will make that story most receptive to the people who are reading it. Yeah. Um, so that's why I'm, I, I'll, I'll always be thankful to the Cronkite for the knowledge they gave me because uh, like, although I had no idea I'd be going into this line of work and doing mm -hmm. exactly what I'm doing right now, right. all the tools I, I, the Cronkite helped me refine the tools I had yeah. to be best fit for the situation. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Those are my uh, Susan Lasovic, Lynn Downey, Aaron Brown, my road dogs. What's yeah. happening? Y'all listening? I hope so. I hope so. Somebody, I hope somebody listening. Oh yeah. Shit. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. Um, my last set of names. Oh yeah. Okay. Kim Jones. Nolan Jones. Hell yeah. Come on, Jones. Those are my people. Always. Um, my parents put in so much time to make sure that I was that I we that I would even have an opportunity to come out to New York. Mm -hmm. um, made so many sacrifices. I mentioned that there was a point in time when my dad would take my mom to work at ASU early in the morning, then he would rush back home to pick us up and drive us across town to uh, Ahwatukee, Arizona, to mm -hmm. put us at this charter school that, given the demographics, we may mm -hmm. not have had any business being there. My parents just knew that that was the place yeah. where I flourished the most. Mm -hmm. um, and just so much has happened over the past year and a half. You know, my my uh, mother had breast cancer. And it, mm -hmm. so we were, there was, it was just this flurry of things happening. And some of those things that took place were like high moments in my life. And some yeah. of them were really dark moments where I had to observe people who I love mm -hmm. um, enduring a great pain so right. the moment I'm living in right now and I don't know how long it's going to last but it's just a triumphant moment for me mm -hmm. Nolan and Kim and Kamal because this is always for them no doubt Jones forever forever Jones forever that's what's up man that's beautiful dog my man yo man I appreciate you coming through once again man, um, thank you this is the inaugural episode this is it this like is it I had fun yo this was dope oh absolutely absolutely yo, um, I'll be back whether you invite oh, me oh no yo come through pink room <laughs> Pink room. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, now nah, you know. I'm saying we got free pizza. You know, what I'm saying got some water. I'll bring the. I'll bring the <laughs> henny and we'll be. Okay, okay, okay. See, now you're talking that shit. Now, now you talk. All right. Be cool. Yeah. Hey, actually, yo, Jer, I was gonna tell. I was gonna hit you. I was gonna tell you to bring some whiskey. <laughs> Man, we we are a set of deplorable. Trying to drink in the studio like we were Hey, hey, I mean, that's that's how it should be, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? You know, oh, yeah. I mean, you got to christen. This, this is, you know, as you said, the inaugural episode. Oh, yeah. You know, you got to christen, the, you know, the, the, the sound, the scene. Um, but, yo, as, you know, wrapping it up, like I said, once again, this is Jerry Sylvest. This is uh, for those who know. Um, I appreciate everybody out there rocking with us. Um, continue to rock with us. Yo, we are officially on iTunes. Um, you can catch us on your iPhone, your podcast. We're also on Google Play. Yo, find it, download it, share it, rate it, review it, hit me up. I put all the things that we'll talk about today, I'll put it in our show notes. Jahan, where can people find you? Find your work. I'm on Twitter at underscore Jahan, Facebook Jahan Jones, Instagram underscore Jahan. Uh, trying to get at Jahan to give me all those. <laughs> Just not coming off them yet. 
Yeah. My name is my name. <laughs> right. Yeah, but all those places. Um, and you'll see me around. No doubt. All right. Yo, um, that's it, y'all. That's the first show. Much appreciated. We about to, we about to, we about to wrap this up. And um, yo, as we fade out with the music, shout out to uh, the music producer for the show, Sway Jury, also known as Jonathan F. We're going to let that ride out. All right, y'all. Peace.